Hey, it's Erin, and this is 31 Nights of Scary Shit. Hey, friends. I am back. I'm excited to be back with you. What I was going to say was, good evening, and welcome to my spooky lair. No? Okay. Anyway, Halloween is getting close, y'all, and you know how people get excited about Christmas, and then it comes, and it's depressing afterward? That's how I feel about Halloween. I wanted to come, but I don't, because I love to celebrate Halloween and spookiness all year round, but most of the people I know aren't really down with that, so I don't really have, you know, a whole group of friends that are kind of as into it as I am. I mean, they like Halloween, but when Halloween's over, they're kind of like, yeah, okay, I'm done with it, but not me. Anyway, um, you know how they say, keep Christmas in your heart all year round or some shit? Well, people don't feel that way about Halloween, and that is BS. So what am I saying? I'm saying I need to make some spooky friends that want every day to be Halloween like I do. Anyway, if you have an opinion about Halloween being celebrated all year long, send an email to 31nightsofscaryshit at gmail.com. Or if you have a story you want to share about yourself or someone you know, or even someone you don't know, whether it's scary, weird, or even something that turned out to be funny instead of scary, send us in an email. Oh, yeah, and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at 31 Nights of Scary Shit. All right, plugging out of the way. So, as you may recall, if you've listened to the last about half a dozen episodes, I've been focusing on scary things in New England, whether it be a haunted mansion, a haunted hotel. Um, This one is about a very gruesome murder that happened back in 1873. And I'd never heard about this one before. And trigger warning, it is pretty gruesome. Kind of shocking, actually. Um, So this took place in 1873 in what is called the Isle of Shoals. And I must confess, I was not familiar with this area until I researched this crime. The Isle of Shoals is an area about seven miles out into sea on the watery border of New Hampshire and Maine. Four of the nine islands are in New Hampshire territory. Rye Harbor is a popular tourist spot where you can book an island cruise. It's a great place to enjoy the beach or some whale watching and, of course, get lobster rolls. So when John Smith arrived in 1614, he named the Isles after himself, of course, the Smith Isles. And the Isles became a fishing port, and eventually the name was changed to Isle of Shoals as a nod to the shoaling or schooling of fish. The fear of invading British soldiers caused many of the inhabitants to leave and never return. So in 1843, an entrepreneur named Thomas Layton built a hotel on Smutty Nose Island and on Appledore Island, which are on the main side of the Isles. The hotels were very successful because people traveled to escape the hot summers in Boston and New York, and they got the benefit of the cool island breeze. In 1873, an entrepreneur named John Poor built the Oceanic Hotel on Star Island, and it burned down in 1875, but Poor rebuilt it, and it is still standing today. Appledore Island attracted artists and writers, mostly due to the fact that the writer Celia Layton Thaxter, who was the daughter of Thomas Layton, who built the hotel. Writers like Nathaniel Hawthorne, Ralph Waldo Emerson, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow spent time at Appledore. 
Celia died there in 1894, and the hotel burned down 20 years later and was not rebuilt. Appledore is home to the Summer Shoals Marine Lab today. Smutty Nose Island is known for the Smutty Nose Brewing Company, but it also has a dark legacy. It was the site of a grisly double murder in 1873. You didn't think I was just going to give you a history lesson, did you? You know better. So a married couple named John and Marin Hontvent were Norwegian immigrants who arrived on Smutty Nose Island in 1868. Oh, sorry. I hate when that happens. They were the only ones living on the island at first. All right. Lost my place, as I am sometimes known to do. Okay. So each day, John took out his schooner, named the Clarabella, and caught fish. He would sell them at the market in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. After selling fish, he would buy bait and then sail back home. His hard work paid off, and John became a prosperous and well-respected businessman. John's wife, Marin, was petite and gentle. She took pride in their home and decorated it with bright colors and lots of plants. The hot vents loved their home, but they missed their family back in Norway. Their red cottage stood out in stark contrast to the rundown fish sheds on the island. Marin's only companion when John was away working was their dog, and it's spelled R-I-N-G-E, so I'm going to call it Ring. I don't know. It could be Ringe. So when I, if I interchangeably say Ring or Ringe, I'm speaking of the dog. So after they had lived on the island about two years, the Montvents became acquainted with a 28-year-old Prussian named Louis Wagner. The Montvents found him friendly enough, but others did not find him trustworthy. Wagner had a checkered past, and he was the type that was always lurking in corners, trying to listen in on people's conversations. So basically, a creep. Wagner fished alone from Star, Malaga, and Cedar Islands, which are connected to Smutty Nose by breakwaters and seawalls. The Montvents became close with Wagner, and they brought him in on their business. They were extremely good to him. They made sure that he never wanted for food or clothing. Needless to say, he did not repay the kindness. In May of 1871, Marin's sister Karen, yes, I know, they rhyme, arrived uh, for a visit from Norway. Karen was grieving the loss of a boyfriend. I'm not sure if he had died or if they had just ended the relationship. And I'm, I'm certain that they probably did not refer to him as a boyfriend then. I'm not sure what the term would have been. But it was a man that she loved, and she was very upset about the loss, and she came to uh, stay with her sister in hopes of restarting her life. So Karen got a job as a live-in maid for a family on Appledore Island, which is the largest of the islands on the Shoals. In June of 1872, since business was booming, John hired Lewis to work for him. Lewis moved in with the Mont Fence. But in October, John was in a bit of a pickle. He now had more help than he needed. His brother Matthew arrived from Norway along with Marin's brother, Ivan Christensen, and his wife, Anatha. I'm pronouncing it that way. It's A-N-E-T-H-E. I may very well be wrong. So Ivan was a, 
uh, very strapping man. Um, and Anatha was described as a beautiful blonde. The house was quite full now, and Matthew and Ivan also went to work for John. Louis Wagner stayed in the house for five more weeks, but then he departed to work as a hand on the Addison Gilbert. The Monfents believed Wagner would be fine, as they had helped him get on his feet. Well, it didn't quite work out. The Addison Gilbert was wrecked, and Lewis had to work along the Portsmouth wharves, and he barely scraped by. And by March of 1873, Lewis was destitute. On March 5, 1873, John, Ivan, and Matthew set sail and planned to sell and catch in Portsmouth and by bait arriving on the early train from Boston. While at sea, the men met a neighbor, and they asked him to tell the women that since the winds had changed, they would not be arriving home until later that evening. So Marin and Karen had prepared dinner and were waiting for the men to arrive home. Um, Anatha was there as well. But when the Clarabella docked in Portsmouth, the men ran into one Lewis Wagner, and he helped them to tie the vessel to the wharf. He asked if the men would be returning to Smutty Nose that evening. They thought it was odd that he asked, but they didn't read too much into it. John explained that it would depend. He would return home if the bait arrived on schedule, but if it was late, then they would have to stay in port for the night. Wagner assisted the men with baiting their lines, and he eventually left the wharf. So Wagner was last seen in Portsmouth at about 7.30 p.m. on March 5th. He had somehow received word that the bait did not arrive on the early train. Therefore, he had an opportunity. He planned to burglarize the Montvents home. So Wagner stole a dory, which is a kind of like a small, simple rowboat, and made the 12-mile trek to the shoals. So he rowed for 12 miles, supposedly in a very short time, too. It would be impressive if this guy wasn't a psycho murderer. At around 10 p.m., Karen, Marin, and Anatha were getting ready for bed. At that point, they figured the men weren't coming home, and they just decided to go to sleep for the night. Lewis was lying in wait for a few hours watching the cottage, like a creeper that he was. When he was sure that the women had probably gone to sleep, he made his approach. The door was not bolted, as his luck would have it. Supposedly, Wagner had intended to rob the house and leave without causing any harm to anyone. Supposedly. I don't believe that. I'm going to be honest. And when you hear about what happens, you may feel the same way. So remember the dog. So Ring barked loudly and it woke up Karen. So Karen called out, John, is that you? Which awakened Marin and she called out to Karen, is something wrong? And Karen replied, John scared me. So at this point, Karen still believed it was John. She had no idea it was Lewis Wagner. Couldn't see. It was dark. But Wagner picks up a chair and strikes Karen with it. And of course, she screams. So Marin is now aware that something is really wrong. And she springs up out of bed and attempts to come out of the bedroom. Wagner strikes Karen again with the chair. And she's now badly injured. And in the process, as Marin is opening the bedroom door, she's also struck with the chair. Somehow, Marin who, again, as I described, was a very small woman, but she she's pretty tough and scrappy, I think. She manages to drag Karen away from the attack, and she pulls her into the bedroom and barricades the bedroom door. Meanwhile, poor Anatha is terrified and cowering in a corner in the bedroom. Marin tells Anatha to run and hide. Well, Wagner, at this point, has given up trying to get in through the bedroom door. 
and Anatha exits through the bedroom window out into the snow. But she doesn't run. She's paralyzed with fear when she realizes that it's Louis Wagner. She screams out, Louis, Louis, two times. Merritt and Karen are horrified as they see Wagner pick up an axe and drive the blade into Anatha's head. Completely unnecessary. All of this is just completely unnecessary. The two women were watching near the window and were so close to the awful scene that they could have reached out and touched Lewis's hand. Marin tried to convince Karen that they had to make a run for it, but Karen, who had been injured, was just too weak to run at that point. Wagner was now planning to come back to the house to finish what he started. Marin knew that she had to make a run for it to survive, so unfortunately, Marin you know, makes a break for it. She wraps herself up in a heavy skirt and she goes out the window with the dog and Karen is left behind. At first she thought she would hide in a cellar in a vacant building nearby, but she figured that Wagner would probably find her there. So she continued running along the shore of the far side of the island. And as she was running away, she could hear her sister's agonizing cries. How awful. So uh, she crawls between two rocks near the water's edge while clutching the dog to her chest. And there she hid while Wagner brutally murdered Karen. He hit her once with the axe and then he missed. And then um, actually he hit her once with the axe and then missed when he swung a second time and it broke the handle. He then twisted a handkerchief around Karen's throat and strangled her to death. Wagner left a bloody trail of footprints while he attempted to find Marin. Fortunately, he gave up eventually and decided it was more important that he get away. Lucky for her. Then he brewed a pot of tea, and he uh, he left blood stains on the handle, and then he made some food that he had brought with him using their utensils. Who does this sound like? It reminds me of Joseph D'Angelo, um, Gold State Killer, how he would make a snack after he got done, you know, murdering people. Just this guy was a real psycho. And I don't believe that he planned to just rob them. I mean, given the way that he brutalized these people, um, to me, I mean, this was a man that was just, that was just violence and waiting. I mean, I don't, I, cause he could have just as well, I believe, you know, just come in and said, Hey, give me some money. You know, I, I, I really feel that this was just completely, completely, um, unnecessary. And that was his character. Um, I don't think that he just panicked or he just lost it. I think that that's who he was. Um, so after all he, after all of this, he ransacked the house and he found about $15 and he left Anatha's body on the floor next to a clock that had stopped at one Oh seven AM. I would presume. Oh, forgot to mention he, he had dragged Anatha's body um, from outside into the kitchen. And then when he leaves, he, he, the body is left next to a clock that stopped at 1.07 AM. About 8 AM the next morning, Marin finally got up enough courage to come out of hiding. She couldn't get the attention of men working on a neighboring Island. So she staggered across the breakwater that was, that connected Smutty Nose and Malaga and called out to the Ingerbredson children who were playing outside of their home in Appledore. The father, George, rode a boat about a quarter of a mile to rescue Marin. He then took her to his home so that his wife could take care of her. Then he and some men armed themselves and went searching for Wagner on Smutty Nose and then on Appledore. They didn't find him. 
In the late morning, John, Matthew, and Ivan were spotted returning on the Clarabella. They were told the horrible news, and they returned to the home where they discovered poor Anatha and Karen. The authorities in Portsmouth were notified, and word spread very quickly that Wagner was on the loose throughout the coastal states. Wagner had been spotted in Newcastle around 6 a.m. the morning of March 6. The stolen boat was located in Newcastle at a spot called the Devil's Den. Wagner had caught a 9 a.m. train to Boston and purchased some new clothes and boots and partied with some women he knew at a boarding house. I mean, seriously, he just brutally murders two people. And now he's like part- partying, you know, living it up like nothing happened. Um, police eventually caught up with Wagner and he did not resist arrest. The following day, Wagner was transferred to Portsmouth and supposedly at each train depot, there were jeering crowds demanding that he be killed immediately. Um, and allegedly nearly 10,000 people were in the streets of Portsmouth waiting to tear him to shreds. That sounds like a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, let's go with that. Smutty Nose was in the jurisdiction of Maine, so Wagner had to be tried there. When he was moved from the Portsmouth jail three days later, a mob of over 200 fishermen were waiting to attack him. And the crowd was pretty hard to contain, and he ended up getting pummeled with stones and bricks. And I say, good for him. Wagner's trial took place on June 9, 1873. There were nine days of testimony, and it took the jury just 55 minutes to declare him guilty. He did break out of jail within a week, but was captured. And on June 25, 1875, Wagner was hanged in the yard of Thomaston Prison in Maine. So what was to become of the Montvents? So Marin and John moved to Portsmouth, where John continued to work as a fisherman. But Anna's poor husband, Ivan, or Anatha, worked as a carpenter in Appledore for the rest of the summer. He then returned to Norway at the end of 1873. And I don't know anything about what happened to him after that. But what a sad story. Um, Wagner, he sounds like just as much of a sadistic psycho as you hear about nowadays. I mean, it just, it, it feels to me like we don't have the whole story. Um, doesn't sound like he snapped. It's an example, I think, of really good people that got taken advantage of. I mean, these people sounded just so kind and giving. And um, and by the reaction of the community of what happened, you know, they were they were so angry about what happened. Um. Anyway, so yeah, story I had never heard of, um, an area I have never really heard of. So I'm, I'm very, I'm kind of curious. I bet it's, I bet it's beautiful and peaceful and probably a, a really cool place to go. Maybe that's another place I'll check out. Um, so I really want to do something really spooktacular for a Halloween episode, but I don't know what that is. Um, I was thinking maybe a live Facebook event, like watching a scary movie and making snarky comments about it. I don't know. Maybe that'll make me feel less pathetic about spending my favorite Halloween holiday, Halloween alone. Um, well, I won't be alone. Exactly. I will have a cat with me and he's a very good companion. He's not my cat. I'm, I'm watching a cat for a friend and I have to say, I love him. He is the sweetest thing. And he reminds me like of a combination of Gus and Lenny. So if you've been listening for a while, you know that Gus and Lenny were the podcasts um, and they have two very different personalities. So Gus meows a lot, kind of naughty, mischievous, very fun, but kind of always getting into something and always trying to get food. I mean, he, he will hear a can open from 
three floors away. And next thing you know, he's right there in front of you. So this cat is very much like Gus in that he's always trying to get food and he's trying to con you for food. And he tries to wake me up two hours before he's supposed to eat. He's always, you know, trying to, trying to get me to give in, but I don't. And it's very hard because he's very cute. He's also very sweet and snuggly like Lenny. So he likes to cuddle with me and he's been keeping me very, very good company. So he's kind of like the perfect cat, little naughty, but also very lovable. Anyway, as I digress, um, I, I really want to figure something cool out. I don't know if that will happen. I'll figure something out. I don't know how cool it's going to be, but I really love the idea of, if not for Halloween, doing some sort of live Facebook event. Um, I think that that would be kind of cool. So again, if you have any ideas, if you want to send an email out with some ideas about you know, what you like to hear covered on the pod, or if you have an idea about what I should do for Halloween, please feel free to send an email at 31 nights of scary shit at gmail.com. And until we meet again, friends, stay spooky.